Last week we wrapped up our first letter of the Thessalonians. This week we're moving into the second letter. Uh, If you're just joining us, we have been working through Paul's letters to the Thessalonians, this young church that he spent a little bit of time with, and then he got chased out due to severe persecution, and he is so worried about this church that he actually writes a couple letters to them. And before we dive into the second letter, as I was praying and preparing for this morning, I really felt God say we need to take a step back. At the end of, in chapter 5, we covered a lot of different topics in a very short time because that's what Paul does. He covers all these rampant topics so quickly. And I really felt God say, no, we need to go back and we need to talk about this one. And it's important for the church, and I'll explain why it's important for Thessalonians, but it's important for us, and as we, as a church, move out of the restrictions of COVID, and we move into this new season of ministry, I think God has a call for each and every one of us um, that we need to really take heart of and really listen closely to. And so uh, we're going to rewind. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14, Paul says this to the church, We urge you, brothers, brothers and sisters, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. And I want to kind of key in on that admonish of the idle and encouraging of the faint Well, it's the whole thing. Help the weak, encourage the faint-hearted. When we went into the restrictions of COVID, we, as following the government's guidelines, we stepped back. We scaled back our ministries. We scaled back our volunteers. We scaled everything back for your safety and for just to honor the leadership that God has established over our province. And, and one of the things that came out of this scaling back was some of you as volunteers stepped up and said, thank you. We have been going so hard for so long. We're tired. And we need this break. And so, and the reality is, and it's not just our church, it's every church. Statistically, 20% of the people are doing 80% of the work, 80% of the giving, 80% of everything that happens within the church. And so I understand the 20% needed a break. I understand the 20% really appreciated the opportunity to sit back and just absorb and to learn And in the midst of that, I want to thank everyone who continued to serve. As we scaled back, we asked the pastor's council to fill in. And when there's holes the pastor's council couldn't fill, we brought in a few more. And so those of you who said, you know what, I want to break, but I want to keep going. I just pray a huge blessing on you for your faithfulness and your continued endurance over this time. But Paul says to admonish the idol, to encourage and even to push the idol, and to encourage the faint-hearted and to help the weak. And what I want to say this morning is for those of you who needed a break, the restrictions are over. You've had 18 months off. It's time to get to work. It's time to get back in the game. You've, had, you've sat on the bench for a bit. You've warmed the bench really well. I hope you've taken advantage of the rest, but it's time to get back into the game. Because if 20% of people doing all of the giving, doing all of the serving, is able to keep this church going and moving forward, imagine what would happen if 100% of the people were doing the work, and 100% of the people were doing the giving, 100% of the people were saying, this is my church, this is my mission, and I'm giving my all to see the kingdom of God advanced. 
And for some, it's, a, it's time to get off the bench and back into the game. For some, it's time to get out of the bleachers. It's time to stop watching from home and start getting into the game because if this is your church, we need you to be involved. We need you to sell out. So bench warmers, I hope you've enjoyed the break. It's time to get back. because, And I don't stand up here and say, okay, everyone's got to get served, everyone's got to help out with the bouncers because I want to make my job easier. I ask you to serve because God has given you gifts and talents and callings and he asks you to be faithful with them. He asks you to use them to the best of your ability to the advancement of his kingdom. So it's not a make my life easier. It's your opportunity to be faithful with God has given you. I don't stand up here and ask for you to give, like I said this morning, so that I can get my paycheck. It's because God calls us to be generous. God calls us to practice sowing into the kingdom so that the kingdom of God can be advanced and people can hear the gospel and missions can happen. And it's not about me. It's all about you being faithful with what God has entrusted to you. And so as we move into this ministry season and as we launch our men's ministry and our women's ministry and our kids and as Mitch launches youth it's gonna take all of us getting involved selling out on the mission of God so that we can see our church become the massive influencer that God has called us to be no more 20 percent doing 80 percent of the work I'm calling for 100% of the people doing their part and doing 100% of the work. And so God is, call, God is admonishing us. God is calling us. So whether you're the bench warmer, your break is over. It's time to get back in the game. It's time to get back on the ice. For those of you that maybe have never gotten involved and that seems intimidating, I will find you a spot that fits perfectly with who you are and your skills and your talents. And for those of you that are watching online, it's time to stop being a number and start being part of what's happening because there's ways you can serve even online. So no more, no more consuming. Let's get, let's get into the game because our, as we've talked about lots, holiness is not just about what we don't do. Holiness actually has more to do with us getting involved and working out our salvation through serving, through giving, through being the family of God and being this army that is going to move mountains and move in our community and make change. Okay, I'm done. That took too much time. But you are officially admonished. Now on to chapter 2. Um, so Paul, as he gets ready to... Oh, I forgot this. Uh, idle hands. Does anyone know the end of this sentence? Idle hands are... No? Nobody? Idle hands are the devil's playground. Idle hands are the devil's playground. This is the other reason that I think Paul calls us to admonish the idol, to admonish those. Because when we aren't doing something, we find something to do, and our sinful nature more times than not leads us into things that are contrary to the will of God. So it is a, this call to be busy, this call to get active isn't just for your... <laughs> just for, not just for the advancement, but to just keep you away from the things that you need to stay away from. Idle hands are the devil's playground. Okay, now to the second letter. Um, in Paul's second letter, the reason, we know that in, for the Thessalonians, the second letter actually comes very quickly behind the first one. And the reason we know that is Paul receives a second report about the church. 
And there, I, we don't know who gave the report. We don't know who came to see Paul. But he says, he's telling Paul that things have actually gotten worse in Thessalonica. In Thessalonica. The persecution has actually gotten worse. It's actually gotten more violent. It's actually been heightened for the people. And people are actually facing threats of their lives, f- facing threats of their physical health. Uh, the confusion about Christ's return hasn't been cleared up. It's actually gotten even worse, and so people are confused, and they're fighting, and they're not being unified as God has called them to. And the idleness that Paul talks about in the first letter has actually gotten worse. And we're going to see in the second letter that Paul, Paul kind of is like, you know, <laughs> admonish the idol, you know, encourage those. The second letter, he's like, time to get going, boys. Um, he, he really drops the hammer on the idol. Um, but that's not today. Don't worry. I'll give you a couple of weeks to get, and then we'll move on to the... Anyways, um, so with all of that, this bad report has come. Paul is even more worried about the church, and that brings us into chapter 1 of Second Thessalonians. Here we go. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Ooh. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for their steadfastness and the faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. Paul starts the second letter the same way he starts the first. I am so proud of you guys. You guys have endured the persecution. You guys have endured the hardship. You have remained faithful. And not only have you remained faithful, but your faith has grown abundantly and your love for people has increased all the more. And your steadfastness somehow, even in the midst of the persecution getting worse, you have actually gotten stronger. You have endured. You have overcome. And Paul is so proud of this church that he is telling their story in every church that he's, bi- he's visited from here on out. This church is doing so good. Despite the fact that I was only with them for three weeks, despite the fact that I've only written one letter to them, they are doing so good. He is encouraging them. He is so proud of them. And Paul offers this really interesting encouragement in the midst of it. He says, you guys have been facing this, this affliction, you've been facing this persecution, going through this hardship. And he says this in verse 5. He says, this is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. What Paul is saying is that as you are being persecuted, as you are facing this tough time, you're actually entering into the story of Jesus. Because in John, Jesus said this to his disciples, remember a word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep Yours. If they persecuted the master, if we, if he, they persecuted Jesus, then we should expect the same if Jesus is our Lord and our master and our teacher and our savior, because the servant, which is all of us, we serve Jesus, we come alongside and we lift the name of Jesus high as servants of Christ. 
if they did it to the master, we should expect they're going to do it to us as well. Because <laughs> the truth is we have a spiritual enemy who is living and active, and his whole point is to steal, kill, destroy everything. His fate is sealed. He is going to spend eternity separated from God, and his whole goal in life and in this time is to make sure he takes as many people as possible with him. And in doing so, he's going to make life difficult for those who are opposed to them. He's going to make life difficult for those who are working against his schemes and his vision and his ability. Because if somebody is making my job difficult, then I'm going to make their job difficult. And I remember my mom saying, here you go, mom, little shout out to you. I remember as a teenager, mom said that the devil is going to pick on those who are his biggest threats. And he said, and the point was, if you aren't facing a hard time, if you're not fa- then what does that say about how big of a threat you are to the devil? We're just going to let that one sink in. Because if we are walking in step and we're following our master and we're doing the things that the master has called us to do, we should expect opposition. We should expect hard times. Because if it didn't happen to Jesus... It's going to happen to us. And Paul offers this encouragement to this church who's facing such ferocious persecutions, such ferocious trials. He says this, in, starting in verse 6. He says, Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on the day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed just because our testimony to you was believed. So twice in this passage, he talks about how those who have been faithful are going to experience the relief. Those who have experienced the persecution and have suffered loss because of their faith, when Jesus comes and Jesus brings his justice and he imparts his way on the earth, those who have been faithful, those who have been refined, are going to experience their relief, are going to experience the vindication that they have so deserved, and they are going to experience God and all his glory, and they're going to worship and be in awe. And Paul says, for the saints who have allowed the sanctifying work of the Spirit to make them pure, this, Jesus is going to be revealed to the world in and through them. Some say, some say that Jesus will be revealed by his saints. This one says in his saints, and it's actually more accurate in the Greek. He says, when we are faithful in allowing the Spirit to do what the Spirit needs to do in refining us and making us more into the image of Christ, we actually reveal Christ to the world. But Paul says repeatedly, he says, I know you're facing tough times. Every letter he writes, he's writing to his Christians and believers who are facing persecution, who are facing injustice and being mistreated. And time and time again, he says, do not take vengeance. Do not repay evil for evil, but repay evil for good. Do not do this. Why? Because vengeance isn't yours. 
Vengeance is the Lord's, he says. God will bring his justice on those who have persecuted the innocent, who have refused justice to those in need, who have accepted bribes against those who unjustly are being having justice removed from them. And so Paul is calling the church, saying, in the midst of this hardship, in the midst of this tough time, you need to have this eternal mindset thinking, okay, I know that God is going to fight for me. Just like Michelle said, God's going to fight your fight. God, God might not do it the way you're gonna, you want him to do it. He may not do it in your time, but God's justice is good, it is pure, and it is for all eternity. And this raises a really interesting point. Remember, Paul says that all those who believe, so all those who did not believe are going to be separated from God and face eternal destruction. It's like, oh, that seems really unfair because what if they just didn't believe but they were really good people? Like, how does that work? Why would God do that? Is God really good if he would do that? What is going on? And this is how we need to understand the relationship of God with those who have chosen not to come into relationship with him, chosen not to follow him and submit their lives to him. God, all throughout church history, we have been taught that God will never force himself on us. He will pursue us to the nth degree. He will show his love in unceasing measure to everyone equally. Jesus talks about how he, God causes the sun to rise on the just and the unjust. He causes rain to fall on the sinner and the righteous. God has poured his blessing out even when we don't ask for it, even when we are running from him. God never stops pursuing, never stops giving opportunity for us to come into relationship with him, but he will never force himself on us. And what happens is, is that when the time comes and we have passed away and we stand before God, God is not going to force himself on you and he's not going to force eternity on you. If you spent your whole life not wanting a relationship with Jesus Christ, why would you want to go to heaven where his presence fills everything and it's full of people who love Jesus? You made the decision for all your life to avoid that, so Jesus is not going to force it on you. The problem is, is because it's not being forced, because you are not being forced into a relationship that you didn't want, when the presence of God is removed, then all of that blessing, all of that protection that we didn't realize we're getting, all of that the ways that God has loved on you is removed and the resulting effect can only be described as eternal destruction. We don't realize how good God is to us day by day, second by second, moment by moment, God is pouring out his blessing and his favor on everybody and we don't realize what it's going to be like without it until, unfortunately, it's too late. And because of this truth, because of the fact that there is coming a time where God is going to remove his presence from those who do not believe, who have rejected them his whole life, as believers, this is the motivation for us to share Jesus with as many people as possible. Because who wants that for their neighbor? Who wants that for their coworker? Who wants eternal destruction for any? Like, that's horrible. 
I don't care how bad they've treated you. I don't care how bad the situation is right now. I, it doesn't matter because nothing deserves that kind of eternal torment. And so that motivates us as the church to spread the gospel to as many people as possible. And if you are here, you are watching online, and you have not made a decision to follow Jesus, then I am looking at you right now. I implore you, I beg of you, that this is your moment. This is your opportunity. Because I guarantee that no matter how good you think you've got it now, God is going to make it exponentially better. Because when we enter into a relationship with Christ, He forgives all of our sin, all of the mess, all of the muck, everything that has hindered us and weighed us down for life. And He gives us new life. He wipes the slate clean. Paul says, you are made into a new creation. God does not just come in and be like, hey, I'm here. But he radically transforms everything. He gives life meaning. He gives life purpose. And he gives you the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead to supernaturally empower you to do things that you never thought you could do. And all he asks is that we would humble ourselves before him declare him as our lord and savior we give him our life and he cleans it up renews it empowers it and gives it back to us better but all but we it starts with us surrendering all and saying god take this take this life take these fears take these worries take these problems take these habits and these problems and just remove it make me clean wash it all away and God does it without question, without hesitation, because he loves us so deeply, so intimately, that he just can't wait for us to simply ask and surrender all. And with all of that, prayer, Paul finishes chapter 1 the same way he did in 1 Thessalonians with this really great prayer over the church. And he prays it over the church then, and I pray it over you now. Paul says this in verse 11, To this end we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling, may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that in the name of the Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, Paul picks up exactly where he started in verse 5. He says, the persecution, the trials, the tribulations that you will face as a follower and a disciple of Jesus, they, are, they actually do have a purpose. And they, God will use them to refine us, to build our character. The Apostle James says this in chapter 1, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. We spend so much of life trying to make life easy, avoiding trials, avoiding tribulation, avoiding persecution. And yet Paul and James come to us and say, no, 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 no. These are designed to make your faith 
stronger. These are designed to make you more prepared for what is to come. These are how we refine the things you believe. We refine the way that you live. And the best example I have, everyone's probably noticed the weights on the bottom here. One's super heavy and one's not. So when it comes to exercise, if I took this weight, which weighs nothing, and every day I got up and I did as many reps as I could every single day, just sat here and just... I may gain a little bit of muscle simply because of the reps that I am doing, but this is not offering any resistance. This probably isn't doing me any good, right? I could do this all day. No problem. That's going to get painful eventually. But anyways, I could do that. This one, however, this is... I. Maybe, uh, we're not going to talk about how many reps I can do with this one. This one is offering a little bit of resistance. This one is the one that is going to build my muscles. This is the one that's going to build my endurance. This is the one that's going to make the impact. And the same is true for those of us who declare Jesus as Lord. We have trials that come our way, and instead of avoiding it, God wants to use it to refine us, to make us stronger, to build that endurance, to refine our character, because this trial is just the beginning. There's a bigger one coming, and we're not going to be able to avoid the next one. We're not going to be able to duck the next one, and we're not going to be able to overcome it until we deal with this one. And so we face these trials, and we do the reps, and we allow the trial, as hard as it may be, as challenging, it, and everyone's trials may be different, but we do it, and we face it, and we endure it, and we allow it to do the good work that it needs to do so that our faith and our relationship with Christ grows and gets stronger so that when the next trial comes, we're ready for it. So this is what Paul is saying when he says, may, the, may you be found worthy of the calling that God has placed on you. May you be found worthy. May you allow the trials and the tough times to do their good work to make you stronger and grow in the faith and the relationship that you have entered into in Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Oh, more out. Dear Jesus, I thank you for the truth in Romans 8 where you said that you would work, use all things to the good of those who love you and are called to your glorious purpose. And we know that those good things, we know as bad things. We know that the tribulations, though they are uncomfortable, though they challenge us and put us into situations that maybe we don't want to be in, God, we trust you that you're going to use these trials and the persecution to grow us and make us stronger the way you used it to enhance the faith of the Thessalonica church, the way that they grew and became more faithful and more loving and more outgoing. I pray, God, that the trials and the temptations and the tribulations and the persecution that we may face, God, that we would not run from it, but as James says, that we would consider it joy because we know that you're going to work it all to the enhancement of our faith, the development of our character. And I pray, God, God, give us eyes to see the big picture, to not just settle in seeing 
to, to, to not just see life as it is right now, but to see life in light of eternity, and that we are sowing seeds that are going to make an eternal difference. Father, I pray that the words of Paul to the Thessalonica church would rest in us, that God, we would meditate on these things and that we would allow, we would allow the good work that you want to do in us to be complete, making us sanctified and pure and holy for the day that you return and we are reunited with you. Jesus, we love you. We give you all our praise and thanks in your precious name. Amen.